Uh, for the past uh, two weeks, so for the first three weeks of September, we're doing a series called Calibrate. Now, to calibrate something is to set something or to reset something according to a standard. As I was uh, standing at the door this morning, a brother walked in and handed me this, which is the same thing you see up there. Some of you might have thought that was a gun. Uh, it's not. <laughs> that might be a little bit inappropriate, but this is actually a calibration tool. So I was asking, you know, what exactly would you use this for? So if you were making an engine, let's say, for a, an airplane or a rocket ship, something that you want to be sure is going to go where you want it to go, and you're going to end up where you're trying to end up, you want to use this thing. It can calibrate to, what does it say, hundreds of thousands of something? Really small, really exact. That's what this is about. So uh, anyway, calibration, that's what it's all about. And that's what this series is about. We're taking three weeks here at Whitefields, here at the beginning of September, to look at the scriptures and study who it is that God has called us to be and who it is that God uh, wants us to be as Christians and as a church. And as we do this, our goal is to calibrate our lives and calibrate our church to those standards. You know, last week I, I shared with you a vision statement and a mission statement that our uh, elders have put together over the past several months. And, and I'll just read those to you again. I got them up here on the screen, hopefully, too. Uh, the vision is this. At Whitefields, we intend to build and foster a passionate, engaged, and spiritually healthy Christian community to influence and bless Longmont and beyond. And the mission, which is more on the you know, rubber hits the road type thing. Uh, the mission is to facilitate gospel transformation by making disciples of Jesus Christ through teaching the word of God, engaging in the mission of God, and raising up leaders. Another way that we have uh, sought to outline who we are and who God has called us to be is with three simple words. Gospel, mission, and community. Basically, everything we do here at the church is ultimately about those three things. Gospel, mission, and community. And today, in our final study in this series, we're going to be focusing on that idea of community. You know, I think one of the great strengths that we have at Whitefields here at this church is that we have real, authentic community. I don't know about you, but I have noticed that community has become somewhat of a buzzword in modern society, right? Like it's, a, it's kind of a hip thing to talk about, hip thing to do. We have community gardens, community this and that. Uh, but I find that a lot of times when people talk about community, it can come off a bit contrived because they know that it's a good idea and they want it, but it, yet it feels contrived. It doesn't feel authentic and it sometimes doesn't feel genuine. But one thing I really believe here at Whitefield is that we have authentic community, and that is one of our strengths. And it's important that we keep it that way. And here's what I'm going to be talking about today, because community isn't just like a nice thing to have, but it is absolutely essential. It's not only absolutely essential to a church, it's absolutely essential to Christianity. And it's not like a take it or leave it type of thing. It is at the very core of the gospel. Community is essential also for our growth. And community is at the very heart of God's mission in the world. So when we have these three words, gospel, mission, and community, what's interesting is that it, the more you think about it, the more you realize that these are not just three independent concepts. Each of these things is, is intensely integrated in the other. They're intertwined. They're interdependent. Each one is part of the other, and each one is 
needed for the others, and each one is a catalyst for the other. And when you get these three things together, gospel, mission, and community, they start propelling each other. They start gaining momentum and fueling each other, and it creates this white-hot burning force. And that's what we want. That's the vision that God uh, gives us in his word for the life of the church is that we want to, that's what we want to calibrate ourselves to. So we can get this white hot burning force in our lives and in the church from having these three elements at work in a powerful way. Gospel, mission, and community. And so the title of today's message is A City Within a City. If you'd open up with me again, like I said, to Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read from verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and let our bodies, and, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. You know, in polls taken in the United States, consistently, huge numbers of people are saying, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, right? I'm spiritual, but I'm not. I mean, how many of you have heard that? I think there's probably none of us who have not heard that statement, that sentiment. And I think especially here where we live, uh, this sentiment is maybe even more so widespread and common. People say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And if you really listen to what they're saying by saying that, basically what they're saying is this, I'm interested in God, but I'm not interested in the church. I want God, but I don't need the church. You see, people have lost hope for the church. People tend to see the church in our, in our modern society and culture as irrelevant, as unnecessary, and this text really speaks to that, and I believe that this text tells us what, it gives us a vision for what church is meant to be, what it can be, what God wants it to be. And, and I really believe that if you understand this vision that God has for the church, that you will have hope for the church. Because you'll come to see that the church is not a peripheral thing. It's not an optional thing. It's not an unnecessary extra it's not a take it or leave it type of thing, but it's vital. It's irreplaceable part of God's plan for your life and for his mission in the world. So here in this text, we see that Whitefields and, and every church is called to be a particular kind of Christian community. And that's what we'll be talking about. What is this kind of Christian community that we're called to be? But here's how we're going to break this down. First of all, we're going to talk about the need for community. You need community, and we're going to talk about why. Then we're going to talk about the kind of community that we need, and then we're going to talk about the result of true Christian community. So let's begin with looking at the need for community. You know, sociologists have said that one of the dominant, the most dominant characteristics of American society, can you guess what it is? Just think about it for a second. What would be one of the most dominant characteristics of American society? Now, I'm sure there are several, but here's one that is really striking. They said this is really, you know, uh, pervasive. It is 
a pervasive sense of loneliness. That is one of the most dominant characteristics of American society, a pervasive sense of loneliness. You know, studies have shown that Americans are some of the most lonely people in the world. We tend to be extremely busy, but yet very lonely. And, and I think that all of us have experienced that. We, have, we know what that means, to be constantly busy, and this feeling that you're surrounded by people, and you're interacting with people all the time, but yet there's this nagging sense of loneliness that you just can't seem to shake. And, and there are several reasons why our culture is this way. You know, again, speaking of sociology, sociologists refer to our culture here as an expressive individualist culture. I don't think that comes as a surprise to anybody. We are radically individualistic and we love to express it, right? And, uh, and we express it in all kinds of ways. Uh, furthermore, in, in expressive individualist cultures, people tend to be fiercely defensive of their privacy. Doesn't that describe our, our culture to you? Fiercely defensive of privacy. When it comes to loyalty, uh, your primary loyalty is ultimately to yourself. More than any loyalties you might have to family or to covenants or to creeds, the prevailing attitude in our culture is that my ultimate loyalty ends here, right? It's ultimately to myself. And you can see that in so many places in society. I was thinking this week uh, as I was, you know, pondering this, you know, there's someone that my family's closely connected to who recently left her husband and her small child because she needed to do, you know, what she said was, I need to do what's good for me. So she went off to pursue her dream career and left her husband and small child. You know, Americans tend to be careful uh, with, tend to be very careful about how much they're willing to align themselves with something, with some movement or, you know, creed, covenant, group, anything, lest they lose their sense of autonomy. I'll align myself with it, but I'm going to be careful lest I lose my sense of autonomy because I want to remain an individual. And maybe you say, yeah, that sounds pretty accurate, but what's wrong with that anyway? What, I mean, is, is that really that bad? I mean, come on. Well, well, here's what's wrong with it, is that individualism and this level, the way that we practice it in our culture, it has a price. And that price is something that we end up paying, and that price is loneliness. That price is loneliness. And we've, basically, we've gotten what we've wanted. We wanted to be our own people. We want to do our own thing, call our own shots, and be our ultimate authority. And we've gotten what we've wanted, but it's come at a cost, hasn't it? The cost is that we are alone. Even when we're surrounded by people, and our culture and our society is characterized by this pervasive sense of loneliness. And, and another thing about this is that we have brought our cultural emphasis on individualism into how we think about God and how we think about faith. And it affects how we approach the Bible and it affects how we think about church. Uh, we put a huge emphasis, now think about this, we put a huge emphasis on having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who is our personal Lord and Savior, and we have a personal walk with God, and we talk about God's plan for our lives individually. And while all of those things are actually good and right and true, and I'm not saying that they're wrong, what I'm saying is we tend to bring our culture into our faith without even realizing it, and we focus, we tend to focus so much on the individual aspects that we ignore and we downplay the cultural, uh, sorry, the corporate aspects, what the Bible would say to us corporately and as being part of a corporate unit. 
uh, and we tend to ignore that and downplay it in our culture. And if we're not careful, we end up with a Christianity that is more cultural than it is biblical, more cultural than it is historical. And so what does God say about the church and about Christian community? What is the blueprint that we can calibrate ourselves to rather than just going with the flow of culture? Well, here in Hebrews 10, we see a blueprint for that. Specifically, I want to focus in on verses 24 and 25. We're told this, Let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see that day drawing near. Now, the, the words meet together in Greek, uh, it's actually one word in Greek. It's the word episynagogue, right? And it's pretty clear that from episynagogue, that's where we get our word synagogue, which basically means a congregation of people. Now, the church is called to be a congregation not just an aggregation, okay? The church is not an aggregation. The church is meant to be a congregation. An aggregation is a group of people who, who come together around something, right? A, an aggregation is like a group of people who come together, say, to hear a speaker or to attend an event. An aggregation could be compared best to a bag of marbles, right? You got a bag of marbles, they're all, you got all these individual marbles, they're all in the same space, they're rubbing up against each other, sliding around against each other. But a congregation is not so much like a bag of marbles, but more like a cluster of grapes, in which each and every one of those is organically connected to all of the others. And in a congregation, you don't just come together to listen to a speaker. In a congregation, you pray together, you eat together, you learn together, you love, you confess sins to one another, You're, you know and you are known. You minister and you are ministered to. There's a mutuality. And that mutuality is really the key to understanding the vision for what Christian community is meant to be. The mutuality is really expressed in two little words, which again in Greek are, are just one word, and in English we say one another. One another, right? That's the key. Notice it says stir up one another, encourage one another. That same concept is found in lots of places in the New Testament. Paul says this in the letter to the Colossians, this idea of mutual ministry, this one anothering, you could call it. In Colossians 3, speaking of what Christian community is meant to be, Paul says this, that we are to bear with one another. We are to forgive one another. We're to teach and admonish one another. We're to minister to one another in words of wisdom. We are to build up one another with spiritual songs and thankfulness towards God. See, the church is not just a place where you go to receive teaching and counseling and shepherding, but it's a place also where you go to admonish and be admonished, to bear burdens with one another, to counsel one another, to confess to one another. And that deep mutual ministry happens how? It happens through the forming of deep spiritual friendships. Deep spiritual friendships. The kind of relationships where you get into each other's lives. You let people into your life. You enter into their lives. You open up about your hurts and your needs. And you hold each other accountable. That's the kind of thing that's being talked about here in verses 24 and 25. And it says here, you don't want to miss out on that. Don't you dare miss out on that. You'd be missing out on the heart. 
Notice what the writer of this letter is saying about Christian community. In verses 19, it's actually quite profound. Think about this. How, did this, how does he make this jump, right? In verses 19 through 22, he's saying that we have access to God through Jesus Christ. We have access to the presence of God through Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, his shed blood shed for us on the cross, his body broken for us. Because of what he's done, we have been cleansed and we have access to God. But then all of a sudden he makes this transition, which seems kind of sudden, right? And he transitions from talking about you have access to God and suddenly he says, hey, and don't forget to go to church, right? Oh, what? He, like, he, he, says, he makes this transition, you have access to God and don't neglect to gather yourselves together. And it's kind of like, wait, wait a second, how did he get from, from there to here, right? How, how did he jump from talking about access to the presence of God through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross to talking about how we really, really need Christian community? Well, here's how, and this is profound and significant. He says this, he says, Community is not just an optional part of Christianity, but a vital and integral aspect, and here's why. Here's the connection he's making. Through Jesus Christ, we have access to the presence of God, but the question is, how do you access the access? How do you access the access? Here's how, through community. Through community, through a specific kind of Christian community. How do you experience the presence of God coming into your life, transforming you, speaking to you, making you into the person that God wants you to be? It's through community. It's not through personal devotions and, and personal prayer times. It's through community. And not just community in general, but a specific kind of Christian community that the church is called to be. You know, C.S. Lewis, uh, Many of you may know that name. He was a famous Christian writer. Uh, he became a Christian as an adult, you know, later in life after he was already a professional. He, he had been an atheist. He worked at Oxford University. And, you know, at that time, and maybe today even as well, uh, it was uh, an in vogue thing for people in academic circles to be atheists. It was just kind of expected that if you're serious uh, about academics that you will be an atheist. And so C.S. Lewis was an atheist, like many of his colleagues. But through a series of events and discussions and with friends and colleagues and people he respected, C.S. Lewis became a Christian. And C.S. Lewis would later say that when he first became a Christian, church was one of those things about Christianity that he was not very excited about. He just wasn't into it. He didn't think it was all that exciting. And he said maybe it was even a hesitation he had about becoming a Christian. He really didn't want to go to church and become one of those guys. But he found that he was so convinced with Christianity, that it was so, he was so convinced that it was true, that he had no choice but to become one of those Christians, and he, he felt he must do it wholeheartedly. And so he started going to church, albeit somewhat reluctantly. He, he went and he viewed it as a necessary evil, you might say. But it was after C.S. Lewis became a Christian that his attitude about church changed completely. And the reason that happened is because he came to understand God's vision, God's intention for what the church is supposed to be, what it can be, and what it should be. And in his book, Mere Christianity, his very famous book, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, Christ works in us in all sorts of ways, through nature, through our experiences, but above all, he works on us through each other. And he makes this very wonderful statement here. He says, we are carriers of Christ to each other. 
We are carriers of Christ to each other. And he says, that is why the church, the whole body of Christians, showing him to one another is so important. You may say that when two Christians are following Christ together, there is not twice as much Christianity as when they're apart, but 16 times as much. You see, God's transforming presence, how does it come into your life? How do you access the access through community? Not just by having a private devotional life. That's not enough. You need community. It is an integral part of Christianity. And, and I would go as far as to say this. You're not really practicing Christianity until you're part of a believing, confessing, one-anothering community. You know, the English evangelist and the father of Methodism, John Wesley, he said, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Sinclair Ferguson is one of the great Bible scholars of our day. He says this, We are not saved individually and then choose to join the church as if it is some kind of club or support group. Christ died for his people and we're saved when by faith we become part of the people for whom Christ died. The story of the Bible is the story of God fulfilling his promise. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. You see, you need community. It is a basic, fundamental human need that you have. And in our drive to be autonomous and call our own shots and be our own people, we've gotten what we've wanted. But it has come at a cost, and that cost is a pervasive sense of loneliness that permeates our society. We long for, we yearn to know and be known. We have an innate desire for community. And even more than that, we need community because there's a certain kind of Christian community through which the presence of God comes into our lives and changes us. So we need community. So what is the nature of this kind of community that we need? That's what we'll talk about next, the kind of community that we need. There are three characteristics listed here by the author to describe the kind of community that we're called to be. First, in verse 24, he says this, let us consider let us consider. Let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good works. So think about it, he says. Consider it. Think about it. What does that mean? What does it speak of to consider something? It speaks of intentionality, being intentional, considering, thinking about other people, and asking yourself, what does he need? What does she need in order to grow? So the first characteristic of the kind of community that we need and that we are called to be is intentionality being intentional about reaching out to others, considering how we might, uh, where they might be at, how they might be doing, what they might need in order to grow, how we can stir them up to love and good works. How can I help him? How can I help her to grow and move forward? You know, when you talk to people, let me ask you, are you, are you listening as they talk? Are you listening for, to find their hopes and their fears, their aspirations? Are you intentional about sharing your own with them as well? Are you intentional about sharing your hopes and your aspirations, your fears, your weaknesses, your strengths with them? Because, you know, some people are very willing to listen to other people's fears, other people's hopes, and other people's weaknesses, and they'll pray for them, but they aren't willing to open up about their own. But that doesn't lead to that kind of deep community in which you know and are known in which there's deep spiritual friendships and mutual ministry taking place. It doesn't lead to one anothering if it's only one way. So first of all, this kind of community that we need, that we're called to be, is intentional. It's intentional about helping each other grow. It considers how to do that. 
Let me ask you, do you have that in your life? Are you doing that in your life? How can you do that in your life? Ponder that. The next characteristic of this community, not only is it intentional, but it is focused on what? On stirring each other up, motivating each other, spurring each other to love and good works. You know, love speaks of what? It speaks of character. It speaks of attitude. Good works speak of action. That's what we're going for. The, both the attitude, the, the character, and the actions. And this community is to be intentional about what? About spurring each other towards these things, character and actions. Now, it's actually very interesting. I was looking into this word that's translated stir up or spur. And, uh, and it's very interesting because this word in Greek literally means to irritate. So we are called to be an irritating community. And some of you say, you know, I think some of the people here at this church are very successful at that. It's very good. That they're fulfilling God's call for their life. Just be super irritating, right? No, you know, you think about it, but think about this. What is a spur? Other, it's a pointy object that you jab into an animal's side to get him going, right? It's irritating. You irritating that animal to get him moving, Right? Think about, what's oh, another word we could use this? A prod. What's a prod? It's just a pointy stick, right? They should just call it that. Hey, a pointy stick. Just jab people with pointy sticks to get them moving in the right direction. That's what it's about. You know, even stirring up a fire. What are you doing? You're not just leaving it alone to just do its own thing. You're messing with it. You're getting in there. You're bothering it. You're messing with it. In order, why? So that it doesn't die out on its own. You're getting in there so it might be rekindled, so it might burn stronger, so it might get more oxygen, more life, so it might be more intense. You know, these words just paint such a picture for us about the kind of community that we need, that we're called to be. We're called to be an intentional community, and a community that's intentional, not just about, uh, you know, leaving each other be, but a, a community where we're about irritating each other, about bugging each other, about getting in each other's lives, spurring each other on, prodding each other. Why? In order to help each other grow. You know, this word uh, stir or spur up, another way to translate, a way it's actually translated in, in the book of Acts, the same word, it's translated to sharply confront, sharp confrontation. You know, that fits, right? Spur, you're confronting that animal, a prod, you're confronting them sharply. And that's what we're told here. And here's the deal. You need some people in your life who you allow to sharply confront you sometimes. Do you have that? Do you have people in your life who you allow to sharply confront you? If you don't have that in your life, you will never become the person who God wants you to be, that person of love and good works to the degree that God wants you to be it. If you don't have that kind of community in which you give people the permission to bug you, to stir you up, to hold you accountable about the, the things in your life, the intimate things in your life, and call you out when necessary, then not only will you be lonely, but you'll be vulnerable. Vulnerable to what? Vulnerable to a shipwreck. Think about shipwrecks. How many of you read the Odyssey? Had to read that in school maybe. It's a story, right? The Odyssey is a great uh, Greek story about this man, Odysseus, right? And what's the story about? Odysseus is trying to make his way home. He's in a boat and he is the captain of the boat. He's got a crew with him and he's trying to make his way home. But on his way home, he has to navigate all these pitfalls, and so he's the captain of the ship, he's got a crew, and, and at a certain part of the journey, he knows that they're going to have to travel past the island of the Sirens. Now the, uh, the Sirens, they are these creatures who look like beautiful women, and they sit on these big rocks and they sing. And when male uh, sailors or mariners, when they hear the song of the Sirens, it's just 
so captivating, it makes them go mad with desire. And they steer their boats towards the rocks, and what? They shipwreck themselves, and they kill themselves, and they kill everybody with them. So Odysseus knows that this is coming, this, this temptation, this pitfall, this trial is coming, and he knows that he's going to be tempted, and he knows that the temptation will probably be more than he is capable of bearing on his own. And so what does he do? While he is still in his right mind, while he's still fully there, before the temptation comes, he tells his crew, his men who are with him, he says, tie me to the mast, tie me to the mast of the ship, and he puts wax in their ears, and he tells them to go below deck, and he says, no matter what I say, you just keep rowing. When I go mad with desire, when we get near that island, and I just lose it, and I fall into temptation, and I'm wanting you, and I'm telling you to do, he says, just ignore me, and just keep rowing, keep rowing until we get past the island, and I come back to my senses. Basically, he's telling the men, I want you to give me what I need, not what I want. I want you to give me what I need, not what I want. And that is a great example of the kind of community that we are called to be as a church. If you don't invite people in to know you, to really know you, to share, and you share with them your weaknesses, you ask them to hold you accountable, you give them permission to confront you when necessary, you give them permission to bug you and to irritate you if you need it in a loving and caring way. If you don't do that, not only will you be lonely, but you very well may find yourself shipwrecked. The way to present your, uh, prevent yourself from being shipwrecked, well, one of the ways that you can become, you can help to become a person of love and good works, of character and actions, is by having this kind of community in which you know and in which you are known. You know, to, to the degree that you let people hold you accountable. Let me ask you, do you have that in your life? Do you have that in your life? Do you have people who know you that well? They know your weaknesses and they're, you've given them permission to speak into your life and irritate you. You need that. You need it so much. The third characteristic of this community we see here is that it's encouraging. Encouraging. Now the word encourage means, literally means to come alongside someone. And what a picture that paints as well. My son just joined a cross-country team through his school. And, uh, you know, they teach the kids when they're not running, what are they supposed to do? Not just hang out and chat with each other. They're supposed to go out on the course and position themselves so that when their teammates run by, they can encourage them. They can encourage them to keep doing what, the, what that person already knows that they should be doing. They're just tired. They want to give up. They're struggling as they run. And so it's so important to have somebody out there who will come alongside them and run next to them and encourage them, say not to stop and not to give up. And we need that. We need that in our lives. We need to be encouragers and we need to be encouraged as we run this race that's set before us because it's easy to get tired, to lose focus, and to be tempted to give up. Let me ask you again, are you being that for other people? Do you have that in your life? You need it. This kind of community that we need is characterized by these three things. Intentionality, spurring, and encouraging. And finally, I just briefly want to talk about the result of this kind of community. The results of this kind of community. John Stott is an English theologian. He says this, The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. God's purpose is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but to call us out of the world 
uh, call out of the world a people for his own glory. You know, the new community that God has designed, that we need, that we long for, the answer to this pervasive, nagging sense of loneliness in our society, the kind of community that God has called us to be, uh, when this community exists, what happens? The result is a city within a city. That is my title for this message today, and that is the vision for Christian community. That's the vision for Whitefields, that we would be a city within a city, an alternative community within our community that functions on different principles and a different culture than the rest of society around us. We function on the culture and the principles of the kingdom of God. One author referred to the church as outposts of God's kingdom here on earth. We're a community where God is honored as Lord, where he is honored as king, as the supreme authority. We're a community that loves the truth. We're a community where there's love and grace and there's forgiveness. We're a community characterized by generosity. We're a community where people focus on how they can build each other up, how they can help each other grow and move forward. We're a city within a city, a community within a community, a counterculture where God is Lord. You know, I mentioned earlier that these three things are intensely interconnected. Gospel, mission, and community. They each fuel each other. They are catalysts for each other. They propel each other. The gospel creates community. When you understand that God loves you, that he loves you so much that he became a man and gave his life as a ransom for yours. The fact that you have been loved, it fills your heart with love for others. The gospel creates community. The gospel also gives you a mission. A mission to share this good news of salvation with the world. But not only does the gospel create community, but it is through community that we grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. As we minister the gospel to one another. As we're carriers of Christ to each other. Not only is community a vehicle through which we grow, but community is also the vehicle for mission. You see how these things are interconnected. Rather than each of us just going out and saying, God, what's your mission for me? We collectively say, God, what is your mission for us? We say, God, we we are called to carry out your mission in community, as a community. And so so maybe you ask, so what are some of the practical ways that we are seeking to fuel this kind of community here at Whitefields? You know, earlier I, I talked about this idea of the church as a congregation rather than just an aggregation where there's actual deep mutual ministry, one anothering taking place. You know, one of our goals here at Whitefields and is now and will continue to be to facilitate opportunities for that to happen. Facilitating opportunities for that to happen. We want to build and foster a culture and create opportunities for you to have that kind of community in which you get into each other's lives and you get into each other's homes and there's deep mutual ministry that takes place where you eat together and you pray together, you admonish one another, you bear burdens together, you counsel one another, you spur each other on and irritate each other, where you come alongside and encourage each other. And you know what? There's an opportunity for that every Sunday. In my opinion, service doesn't end after the last song, right? That just begins the next part of our service, which is, which is fellowship. And it's not just kind of an aside, like a, you know, a little extra. No, I, I believe that's a, a vital time. And we encourage you to stick around and to talk to each other and to pray for each other and to minister to each other. My dream also is to see everybody in this church plugged into 
one of our community groups. I'd like to see our community groups flourish. I'd like to see them grow, multiply. I'd like to see us meeting in each other's homes, ministering to each other all the more, praying for each other. We want to build deep spiritual friendships. And we want to create opportunities for that to happen. You know, this past Friday, we had our marriage builder. And, and like I said, everything we do is, is focused around three things. Everything. Gospel, mission, and community. So this past Friday, we did this marriage event. And if you were there, you might have noticed that we included as part of the schedule, like a significant amount of time just so you could talk to each other. That's totally intentional. We do that on purpose because we don't believe that's just wasted time. We believe that is some of the most important time. Because we're trying to build and foster this kind of Christian community that's blueprinted for us here in the scriptures. In just a few weeks from now, we have our fall festival coming up. You know, that's one of our, our things that I love doing here at Whitefields. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time of being together and doing what? Building and fostering what? Deep spiritual relationships so that we can do deep spiritual mutual ministry. You know what? We do these things so that relationships can happen. Relationships in which ministry will take place, in which you know and are, and are known, in which you get into each other's lives and you intentionally spur one another on and come alongside one another. And as we build this community, you know what happens? We say, we've got this community, this, this white-hot burning thing, gospel mission community, they're all working together. And as we build this kind of thing, we're able to invite other people into it. We're able to invite people into this community where we are becoming disciples of Jesus Christ together and seeking to carry out God's mission together. You know, throughout the year, we have several times when, as a community, we take on endeavors to bring the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to our community on mission together. We're about to get into one of those in just a couple weeks with Project Greatest Gift again. So again, we just encourage you, get involved in those things. You need community. You were made for community. Each one of us needs a specific kind of community, this kind of community where when you get plugged into it, it results in your growth, it growth in your relationship with God, and it results in the mission of God being carried out in the world. So let us not neglect the gathering of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but let us consider how we can spur each other on to love and good works, encouraging each other all the more as the day draws near when Jesus Christ returns. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you that you have called us out of loneliness. Lord, you've called us out of our individual lives, Lord, and you've brought us into a fold. Lord, you've brought us into a community, the community of those who are being redeemed, the community of those who are walking and following Jesus as disciples or the community of those who are carrying out the mission of God. Lord, may we be that kind of community. I pray that, that those deep spiritual relationships would be uh, just uh, really continue to be a fundamental and, and key aspect of who we are as a church because, Lord, that's who you've called us to be as Christians and as a fellowship. So, Lord, would you let that happen? Thank you, Jesus, that it's by your blood that we have access to the Father. Thank you, Lord, that we have access to the most holy place. Thank you, Lord, that you died for us, that you made us new, and you called us into community. We want to honor you in everything that we do as a community. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.